Worship team, whoa, there we go, now I'm on. Thank you, worship team. Uh, Like Amos said, I am appreciative so much of what it takes to have a church community beyond people that just work here, and so I think that's pretty cool. Um, Everybody has something they can do. It's not always being in front of people, but it takes a load of people to do even just a regular Sunday morning. So um, I just want to say thanks, because I'm a parent too, and so that means I have to have somebody teach my kids Sunday school, and somebody has to be here to help VBS, somebody has to open the doors. Um, So thank you from a parent and somebody who just attends here. Um, I am excited to be here uh, to talk about our series. We've spent 10 weeks this summer while Tim's been on sabbatical uh, journeying through the book of Colossians, and I'm excited to be here to talk about that. Um, I'm also excited, and and I'm just going to go for it, I'm excited to talk about the Olympics, And so I'm going to take just a little bit of time here in the beginning, and we're just going to talk about the Olympics some, because I get really excited. I am going to ask Greg to do me a favor real quick. That keeps coming up that it's losing connection. So if you just hang on to that for a sec for me, I'd appreciate it. Um, So something you need to know about me, I grew up on a little tiny island um, that's 14 miles long and 6 miles wide. So when you are surrounded by that much water, you kind of have one option. You learn to swim. Um, it's just sort of what happens. There's not, I don't know if there's even big enough area to put a football field, frankly, because the island was so small. So we would just swim circles around the island all day. Um, that's not true. But I did swim a lot. Uh, and I learned to appreciate it, and I learned to love it. Um, thank you. Okay. So this time, every four years, I get, I get super excited. So you're kind of catching me on a little bit of a swoon this morning, because last night they closed the swimming part of the Olympics. I know, there, were, there might have been a single tear that came down my face. Um, it's funny, I, I didn't anticipate this, but my brother texted me this morning as I was finishing up a few things, and he said, hey, I don't mean to rain on your parade, but track and field's way more exciting than swimming. I'm like, what? What, what planet are you from? I tried to watch the men's 10-meter circle run yesterday, and I don't, I don't even know. I don't even know what they were doing. Um, but I get excited when the Olympics come around. I get excited to watch uh, people who have invested a ton of their lives into something. I get excited to watch human triumph. I, I hope that you've seen a few of these moments that have happened. Um, Simone Manuel uh, was competing in the women's 100 free the other night. I, don't, I hope you saw this. Um, we had never had an African-American female win any medal uh, in an individual event before. And so she finishes her race, and the wall's here, and the times are behind her. And she touches the wall, and she turns to look back, and you can see her remove her goggles to see, and she realizes that she won. And her face of... <sighs> Like, that, like this, this emotion that just came out of her was why I love to watch the Olympics. I don't know her whole story, but everybody who participates has some kind of backstory where they've invested a ton of their life into this goal. And for her, she got to realize that goal. And then she gets out of the water, and they, they do that awkward interview, and they're still like, yeah, and then I swim, and then, and you're only going to do two questions, right? Because I can't breathe anymore. Um, but she was super gracious then, uh, probably my favorite moment was they had a camera in the U.S. team prep room afterwards, and she walked in, and the team turned around and started clapping, and all of her best friends came over and gave her a hug. Like, what a cool moment for her, for the team. And, the, and these stories are, are everywhere. Um, I'm going to geek out just for one second. Bear with me. Katie Ledecky is 
an incredible swimmer. Like, she's just unreal. She's 19 years old. I'm looking in this direction. You still have time. You still have time. 19 years old, and, and she has yet to lose an individual Olympic race. She just wins. And if you watched, I think it was the 800 the other day, she doesn't just win. She wins by, I think it was 11 seconds. I, they kept showing stills of her in the water, and you thought she was solo swimming. It was like, hey, everybody else just stayed home because there was nobody else in the shot. Um, I, I, get, I get excited about that kind of stuff. Um, the double fun thing now is that my kids are getting older, and so they enjoy it. And they get excited, and they cheer, and they ask loads of questions, like, why are there black dots all over Michael Phelps' back? Like, I don't, you know, we've got to Google that. We've got to figure that one out. I don't know. Um, Daddy, why do, they, why do they stand on the, on the lanes and do this thing all day long? <laughs> um, if, if you know my son Isaiah, he's nine. He's on his way to winning an Oscar because he's such an actor all the time. Ask him. He'll probably do it for you. He just kind of walks around the house doing this all the time. Um, but not only is it just something personally exciting, but I think it's a great analogy for what we've been doing this summer too, which is talking about being all into something. Um, and for us, we've come to a conclusion that you must be all into Christ. Uh, that's where we've taken 10 weeks. And, you know, I, I get to bat cleanup. So if you're tired of sports analogies yet, hang on. I got a half hour more of them. Um, but I get to finish up this summer Thanks to Chuck Holt, thanks to Kevin Hackett uh, for being willing to jump in and cover the summer while, while Tim was away. Um, but we, like I said, we've been talking about being all in, and just to kind of frame, as we use the Olympic analogy to what we've been talking about this summer, so Michael Phelps, who we have heard his name, I'm assuming, before, he's the most decorated blah da blah da blah swimmer ever, blah da blah I mean, he's just, he's incredible. Uh, I think as of last night, he's got 29 total medals now or something like that. Um, so when he is training, just so you know, because there might be some fellow athletes in here, here's something you can shoot for. He, he has a 12,000 calorie diet. Like that's his daily thing. Um, I don't know if that's TSFL covered or not, the 12,000 calories. We can, we can catch up about that afterwards. But here, here's what it is. Just, and, and so if you love to eat, here's your goal. Just swim a whole lot, and then you can eat this. Sample breakfast. Three fried egg sandwiches. <laughs> this cracks me up. Three fried egg sandwiches, because two wasn't enough. Um, a five-egg omelet in addition to the three fried egg sandwiches. Three chocolate chip pancakes. Three sugar-coated slices of French toast. And a bowl of grits, because who doesn't like grits, you know? <laughs> So that's breakfast, all right? We haven't even gotten to the middle of the day, which, by the way, is a pound of pasta. Okay, so just a pound of pasta. Two ham and cheese sandwiches and as many energy drinks as it takes until he's floating in energy drinks. Um, and then dinner, uh, a pound of pasta because one, again, wasn't enough, so we need to have two pounds of pasta. It just says pizza, it doesn't say an amount. So my hunch is they just put it in front of him, and he just keeps going until he's like, I'm tapped, I'm good. Uh, so just pizza, and then, uh, and then a truck more of, uh, truckload more of energy drinks. Um, he trains six hours a day, six days a week. If Christmas falls on a training day, you're in the pool. Um, that's what it takes to be all in to get to the Olympics. Um, he swims approximately 50 miles each week, which is about eight miles a day. Uh, the bonus is you get 
two massages every day, and then you can take a bath in ice to help yourself recover after all this training. But that's what it looks like to be all in, to be an Olympic athlete. And if you want to even pull it out a little bit further, he's an interesting example because if you've paid any attention to his personal story during this Olympics, he's not shy about telling you that the last Olympics, he wasn't all in. And he faltered, and he had some things, some personal and some professional things that he failed in. He didn't finish events the way that he wanted to. He didn't meddle in some things that he wanted to. And when he said he was retiring after that Olympics, he came back a year or so later and said, hold on, wait a minute, I wasn't all in there, and I want to finish on my terms. So give me two and a half years to train now for Rio, and I want to leave on my terms, which is being all into swimming again, and the results are, are, are what you see now. So the analogy that we're going to run with Lot today is this idea of being all in. And like I said, we spent 10 weeks going through the book of Colossians. We're going to finish that today. Um, And so this morning might feel a little bit different than if you've been here on some other Sundays. We are going to kind of like a skipping stone across the water. We're going to touch on a number of topics that we've covered already just briefly. And then we're going to land in the final section of Scripture in the book of Colossians. Uh, So bear with me as we jump around a little bit. Uh, I'll have all the scriptures I can read for you, but if you're one of those people who like to do sword drills, today is a great day for that. You can uh, have your Bible on the ready. Um, But this morning, or I'm sorry, this summer has felt like a little bit of of a training session. And we've taken small chunks of scripture. We've really dove into them in depth. And then today's when we're gonna kind of wrap it up and we're going to go perform. We're going to go and step out into what it is to be all in for each of us. Um, Olympic athletes, as they're training, often right before the event, do what they call it, a taper. So they slowly do a little bit less than whatever was maximum before. So today is going to be a little bit of a taper. We're going to not have as much to dive into as some other times we're going to review, but then I really want to rally near the end of the day and be ready to head out and be all in for Christ as we go from here. So we're going to be in the book of Colossians, and like I said, there's going to be a good bit of review. Um, I tried to have some big bullet points that if you're a a note taker, you can kind of be on the quick with writing those down. Um, But we started 10 weeks ago, and Pastor Kevin kicked us off, and he said the goal for this summer is to strengthen our resolve to live the bravest life possible by pursuing Christ above all. You know, there's lots of things that we can dive into, that we can be all into. Um, There's lots of things that can be even distracting for us. But Pastor Kevin kind of started off and said, this is our banner. This is where we're going to shoot for. We're going to spend 10 weeks kind of providing support to that fact right there. Kevin started off with laying the groundwork for the book of Colossians and Paul as the author of Colossians as being a trustworthy source for where we can go to know how to be all in and live the bravest life possible. So as I talk about where we've been the last couple weeks, you're going to hear some language that is repeated. And so the first kind of big takeaway that we had was to live the bravest life possible, we must put our hope in Christ. Interestingly enough, I happened to be here that Sunday, and so I probably remember that bullet point better than I remember a lot of the other ones. Um, But the idea being, there are lots of things in this world that you can put your hope in. 
And unfortunately, if they're found in an identity that is not Christ, it is going to let you down. Even good things. We were, we were in a staff meeting not that long ago, and, and our executive director, Chuck, asked the question, what are some things that take away your kingdom focus? And it was interesting. One of the first things that came to mind for me were a lot of good things. You know, like, I can, I can say that something that sometimes takes away my kingdom focus is I become so driven to be the just best dad I can possibly be. Is that a bad thing? No, that's not a bad thing. But if that's my identity before my hope in Christ, it's going to let me down. You know why? Because I'm going to let me down. You know, the same thing can be true of being a husband. We can put that on such a pedestal that that is what our hope is in. So inevitably, when, when we fail or when those relationship struggles come, because they're going to come, you're going to be let down. So to live the bravest life possible, we have to put our hope in Christ. Colossians 1.5 says, Because we have heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and the love you have for all the saints, the faith and love that springs from the hope that is stored up for you in heaven and that you have already heard about in the word of truth. Hope comes from what we have looking forward to. Christ is our hope. And if we get that part of our priorities right, everything falls in line after that. We moved on from that to the next week, which said, to live the bravest life possible, we must be all in on Christ. That was a week that Chuck was here, and, and he said we needed to recognize three things about being all in. We needed someone worth being all in about, Something worth being all in about. And frankly, is there some kind of benefit for me? And it's true. We need someone, something, and we need some kind of benefit. And the interesting thing about this is when you go to the Scripture, you can see that there's really not a whole lot that you can get away from the truth of this right here. And this is Colossians 1, verse 16. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by him and for him. Again, if you're looking to live the bravest life possible, you've got to go to the place where all things are coming from and be all in on that. And I'm sorry, but I've read that scripture a whole lot of times. There's not a lot that you can take away from it that isn't, I've got to put my hope in Christ and I've got to be all in on him. We moved on from that and we said that by living the bravest life possible, we have three distinct opportunities. Being all in for Christ gives us a chance to suffer for Christ. That doesn't sound exciting until you think about the fact that it's not so much that I'm suffering, but who I'm suffering for. That these difficulties that I'm going through, they're my stripes, they're my marks, because you know what? I am all in on Christ, and I'm going to walk around showing that everywhere I go. So you have an opportunity to suffer for Christ. You have an opportunity to be made perfect in Christ. And you have the opportunity to find the greatest treasure of all, and that is Christ. Scripture for this one is in Colossians 2, verse 2. And it says, Paul's writing, he says, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart and united in love, so they may have the full riches of complete understanding in order that they may know the mystery of God, namely Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Let's be real. Treasures is what we're after a lot of times. 
Unfortunately, they're the wrong kind of treasures. They're earthly treasures that are eventually just going to kind of go away. But Paul's writing here and he says, the greatest treasures of all, wisdom and knowledge, they're found in Christ. So if you're looking for them somewhere else, you're not going to find them. So to live the bravest life possible, we have the opportunity to find the greatest treasure of all, Christ. After that, we continued on. To live the bravest life possible, we must proceed in Christ's power. Kevin was up that week, and he showed us that we must proceed in gratitude, caution, and we must embrace Christ's power. Our scripture here is chapter 2, verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the written code with its regulation that was against us and that stood opposed to us. He took it away and he nailed it to the cross. We could do six weeks on that right there. On what it looks like to live the sort of freedom that comes when you recognize that Christ has taken all the stuff from your past, all the things that you've done wrong, all the negativity you feel about yourself, and he's nailed them to the cross. All those sins that you have that only you know because you've never shared with anybody else, Christ's taken those all away. What kind of freedom is that, that we can go and not have to be weighed down by those kinds of things? But in order to live the bravest life possible, we must proceed in Christ's power, not our own, because we'll continue to fail over and over again. Chuck came back the next week and said, to live the bravest life possible, we must not add anything to Christ. And that was the week Chuck did a math equation. I wish he was here so I could kid him about his math skills. But he said, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. And I love that image. Because let's be real. We do a really good job of adding things to Jesus. You know, as people, and I'll, I'll just use myself as an example, as somebody who grew up in church, like, I know all the stuff to do. I know when to stand. I know when to sit. I know the songs. I know how to dress. Although, um, if anybody's looking, I did wear my Jordans this morning. I'm pretty sure I'm the first guy to wear them up here. So, Tim, sorry. Um, but if we're adding anything to Jesus, we're actually selling it short. And if, we, if as we're communicating with people who don't know Jesus, we're adding some sort of stipulation like, yeah, you need to get that part of your life worked out before you can come to church. You should probably work on that before you're ready to come around to Jesus. You've made it worth absolutely zero. Because Jesus plus anything equals nothing. Colossians 2.20 says, Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not, tu- do not taste, do not touch. These are destined to perish with use because they are based on human commands and teachings. Basically, again, Jesus plus anything equals nothing. To live the bravest life possible, we must not add anything at all to Christ. Kevin came back the next week and said, to live the bravest life possible, we must remain kingdom-focused. Colossians 3, verse 2 says, Set your minds on things above, not on earthly things. 
for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's easier said than done. I mean, I'm not going to sit in this chair and pretend that it's, it's something that we do really well all the time, because we don't. And it's kind of what I said in the beginning, which is sometimes there's really good things that take away your kingdom focus. Sometimes there's noble goals that you have that take away your kingdom focus. But if your kingdom focus is not your first priority, all these things that you're putting ahead of it are just going to continue to let you down. And it's kind of like being an Olympic athlete. You know, there are times when I imagine they don't feel like getting up. They don't feel like the 345 alarm clock, or they don't feel like dry land workouts or getting in the pool again. But, but it's exercise, and it's discipline. And if really you're committed to being all into the Olympics, all right, 345, here we go. And if you're really committed to being all in on Christ, then you're going to work at that, at remaining kingdom-focused, even when those difficult situations come. And maybe even more when the easy situations come. When it's simple for you to rest on your laurels and say, I got this, I don't need God right now. To live the bravest life possible, we must remain kingdom focused. To live the bravest life possible, we must only wear our new clothes. That was a week that Chuck was here and he used the analogy of saying, we need to be branded 100% in wearing Christ apparel. Another goofy swimming analogy. I don't know if you're watching the night that Phelps ripped his cap before he jumped into the pool. Okay, so he's on a relay, getting ready to jump in. He goes to put his swim cap on, and it tears. So he needs a swim cap. He's only got a few minutes, so he reaches for his teammate's swim cap, and if you paid attention, he put it on inside out. Now, whatever, no big deal, but here's why. Phelps has his own sponsoring company called MP that he wears on the front of his swim cap. His buddy swam for Speedo. So silly things that people like Derek notice, you know, whatever. But the idea being, he wasn't going to brand himself as a different company even for that one race. And we can take a lot from that. Like seriously, if we're going around being all in on Christ, we're branded as such. People are going to call us on it, and they better call us on it. It doesn't work, and I love the analogy that Chuck used that week where he said, it doesn't work to set out all of your clothes and say, okay, here are my new Christ clothes, but ooh, I like these socks over here. I'm just going to keep these on. They're under my pants and my shoes. Nobody's really going to know. Or I like that button-down shirt better than the one that came from Christ Apparel, so I'm going to wear that one today instead of something. It doesn't work that way. To be all in means you have a brand new wardrobe given to you by Christ. And you're branded as such, and you carry that with you everywhere you go. The section of scripture for this is kind of long. I won't read the whole thing, but it starts in Colossians 3, 5, where there's this full list of things that Paul says to put to death. Sexual morality, impurity, lust, evil desires, greed. He says all of these things, the wrath of God is coming. But then there's this new clothes section. And it says, Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. And you can see in those two lists the difference in apparel. 
you can see the difference in quality of clothing. You can see the difference in appearance. And don't forget that people know you are branded by Christ because you've said so. They're looking at the way you're wearing that stuff. So if you're still wearing that first list there, they're going to notice. And they're going to think that about other people who have claimed to wear Christ apparel as well. Last week, Kevin said, to live the bravest life possible, we must use Christ's example in all of our relationships. That's hard to do. Relationships are messy. They're not easy all the time. Now, we, we walk through being an employee. We walk through husband and wife. We walk through being a parent. And sometimes I think we give ourselves a pass inside those. Like, I don't need to be Christ-like right now as I interact with my kids because they're my kids. They're not going anywhere. So if I flip out, here's my one chance I have in my next week where I can kind of let it rip a little bit, and they're coming right back. Or my wife, she knows me. That's my excuse. She knows me. She signed up for this. She knows how much of a butthead I can be. Eh, she can take it. Come on. It's an excuse. To live the bravest life possible, we must use Christ's example in all of our relationships. Again, we're branded as such. People need to be able to look at the way I interact with my employer, my employees, my wife, my kids, any of the relationships that I, any of the relationships that I have. People need to be able to look at me and see the branding of Christ in those. So that brings us to today, the final one. To live the bravest life possible, we must work with and appreciate your teammates. We're going to be in chapter 4, verse 7. And you'll see as we kind of go through this, we're going to go through it rather quickly. And I think you'll understand why we took a healthy look backwards before we got here. What happens is Paul is finishing his letter. And as he has done many times, he lists off a few specific people. And he does this for any number of reasons. He does it, he does it so that these people will forever be remembered. He wants to give them some public acknowledgement. But he also wants to use this as a way to encourage the churches who are reading this letter as well. So we're starting in chapter 4, verse 7, reading to the end of the book. Tychicus will tell you all the news about me. He is a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant in the Lord. I am sending him to you for the express purpose that you may know about our circumstances, and that he may encourage your hearts. He is coming with Onesimus, our faithful and dear brother, who is one of you. They will tell you everything that is happening here. My fellow prisoner, Aristarchus, sends you his greetings, as does Mark, the cousin of Barnabas. You receive instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. Jesus, who is also called Justice, sends his greetings. These are the only Jews among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have proved a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you and a servant of Christ Jesus, sends greetings. He is always wrestling in prayer for you, that you may stand firm in all the will of God, mature and fully assured. 
I vouch for him that he is working hard for you and those at Laodicea and Heropolis. Our dear friend Luke, the doctor, and Demas send greetings. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. After this letter has been read to you, see that it is also read in the church of the Laodiceans, and that you in turn read the letter from Laodicea. Tell Archippus, see to it that you complete the work you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting in my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. That's how Paul concludes his letter. And when I was thinking about how I wanted to sort of frame this finishing up, you know, it, it wasn't like some of the other sections of Scripture that we talked about where there was a lot of, of meat in it, where it was, hey, act this way and do this thing. And in a way, it just sort of read as a long thank you note to some people who had kind of helped him along the way. But as I studied it a little bit more, I, I began to understand who each of these people were and why they held some value to Paul. And I thought, this is fascinating that he would acknowledge these people as he's finishing one of his letters. And so we're going to spend a little bit of time talking about each person. So the first guy that he mentions is this person named Tychicus. And he says, this guy is going to tell you all the news about me. He's a dear brother, a faithful minister, and fellow servant. Well, interestingly enough, this guy, Tychicus, shows up three other times in Scripture. And each time... This is sort of what he does. He's Paul's right-hand guy. You know, so when Paul can't go somewhere, often he sends this guy for him. When he needs some kind of information, when he needs a letter delivered, this is who he sends. And so Paul looks at him and says, I trust this guy. I value him with some of my most innermost thoughts. He has been with me, and I trust him to be my representative when I'm not around. Interesting that he would put him in this letter as a teammate. And the purpose for sending him, I am sending him to you is that you express purpose that you may know about our circumstance and that he can encourage your hearts. Obviously, teammates of the all-in tribe need to be encouragers. Next person he talks about is Onesimus. If you've been in around the church, you've heard of Onesimus. If you listen to Adventures in Odyssey, you've heard of Onesimus. The book of Philemon talks about Onesimus. Onesimus was a slave that had done something against his slave owner. You can guess that he probably stole something, but we're not even super sure about that. But what's interesting is somewhere along the line, Onesimus found Paul. And somewhere along the line, Paul took a liking to him. And what's also interesting to know is that Paul wrote this letter, Colossians, at the same time that he wrote the letter to Philemon. And so, more likely than not, Onesimus hand-delivered each of these with Tychicus, which means the first time he saw his previous slave owner, who could have put him to death, he was handing him a letter from Paul. And the letter from Paul said, hey, I'm going to vouch for this guy. I know he did some wrong things, but he has been made new in Christ and so I'm going to stand up and say that I'd love it if you could take him back. All in people on this team are forgiven. What Onesimus did was wrong. He broke the slave-slave owner code. But Paul was quick to say, yeah, but he's a new person now. And I ask that you look at him as such. 
as you keep going down, we come to another interesting one, and that's Mark. You know, Mark is an interesting example because he had a huge falling out with Paul. Mark, or I'm sorry, Paul and Barnabas were going to go on this journey together, and Barnabas suggests that Mark comes along, and their falling out was so bad that, that Paul's like, forget it. I'm not going with him. You know why? Because he ditched us before, and he gave up on doing the work. But what's interesting about this now is the way that he writes about Mark here. He says, you've received instruction about him. If he comes to you, welcome him. See, when you're on the same team, you work hard to bury the hatchet. You don't let grudges be held forever. And even as you go and read more about that, later in Philemon, Paul writes about Mark and says, he's a fellow worker. And as Paul is ending his last days in Timothy, he asks for Mark to be brought to him because he is helpful for my ministry. Paul knew that he needed to get things right with another teammate. He goes on and talks about Luke, about Demas, about Nympha. Each of these people played a specific role in expanding the gospel at this time. And so what can we learn from this list of people? All-in people like Tychicus, they're encouragers. To be all-in, you need to be an encourager. All-in people like Onesimus can be rebranded in Christ, can be made new. All-in people like Aristarchus are faithful in many different situations. All-in people like Mark can put differences aside and end well. All in people like Epaphras love to share the gospel. All in people like Luke see the work of the gospel and want to let it be known. All in people like Demas, they're not perfect. And all in people like Nympha use what they have for the sake of the gospel. Again, the goal as we've talked this summer has been to strengthen our resolve to live the bravest life possible by pursuing Christ above all. This summer has felt like a little bit of a training session. You know, we've gone slow, we've taken little bits of Scripture, and we've really, really dug into it. But now is the time when all the training, all the Sundays, this entire summer, when we are ready to step out and say, I'm going to be all in. We've given you some examples. Paul wrote a ton of examples of what it looks like to be all in. But the reality is it's going to look a little bit different for you than it is for me. I don't know what's holding you back right now. You might just be unsure. You might not know. You might not be certain that this Jesus guy that you've heard about is somebody you actually want to pursue. It's fair. I'm not trying to trick you into anything. I'll encourage you to keep seeking truth, though. And if there's ever anything that I can personally do for you, I'm here I don't hide. But there might be other things. You might be somebody who knows the truth, who has been in church almost your entire life, and for some reason, there's something holding you back from being all in. Might be relationships at work. Might be a spouse, a boyfriend, a girlfriend. Might be school. I don't know what those things are. But here's what I do know. You've been let down by other things that you've put in place of being all in on Christ. You've been lit down by jobs. You've been lit down by people. 
You've been let down by relationships, by finance, but any litany of other things. So my question is, what's it going to take? Well, you know, kind of what are you waiting for to be all in on Christ? The cool thing about a relationship with Jesus is that at any moment, his grace is there for you to accept. Meaning you can make a choice today to forget about five minutes ago and to move forward from this place. You have that option right now. Now, if you're a little like me, I'm, I'm, I can be slow to come around to those things sometimes because no, you don't know the 10 years it took of poor choices for me to get right here. And you don't know the innermost parts of my thoughts when I've screwed up and I've done this wrong thing. And that you, uh, it's, not that e- it's not that easy. Well, <laughs> it is. Now, getting right with God doesn't immediately change your circumstance, but it changes your perspective. So if you've made choices that have put you in a tough spot in life, this isn't necessarily a get-out-of-jail-free card. But it is an opportunity to change your perspective. You've been equipped. You've got the tools. You know what it takes to be all in. Today is an opportunity for you to Take a step. To be all in. To say, I've trained, I've heard, I've done the research, I've thought about it, now's my time to shine. Now's my time to be a part of a team. Now's my time to be all in on Christ. And as I think about what it could look like to be all in on Christ and to do that well as a team, I think we can accomplish some incredible things. We started off today talking about the Olympics and talking about what these athletes are to be all in. But let's not forget, it's not easy for them. There are moments when they've doubted their own ability. There are moments when they've doubted getting out of bed. But when they do it well, it can look like this. Touch France. How many times have I broken this down, Dan, over the last two weeks? Every time I do it, it comes out France. And, you know, the Americans are certainly capable of doing it, but each one of them, it's just sort of like the American women we saw last night. They each have to have the perfect race to be able to beat the French. The defending gold medalists are the South Africans in lane seven. They've got the same lineup which took gold in Athens four years ago, but their swimmers have not been turning the times in that would make them a significant factor to win gold here. Australia has been tough through the years, but when you break down the times, it really comes down to the United States in lane four and France above them in lane five. So Phelps just more than an hour away from swimming the semis of the 200 free, back in the pool here in the relay, and when Phelps is in the pool, everybody's here. Well, according so to my watch, on him, including the president. And president Bush in the watch, stands. Dan, excuse me, according to my watch, an hour and nine minutes ago, not a lot of time to be able to step up and do it again, and he leads it off. Phelps going first, 
Amory Laveau of France leads it off. Second fastest ever in the 50-meter free. The reason the French have come onto the scene here is that they got three sprinters who have come on in the last year or so a little bit out of nowhere. They have come out of nowhere. I mean, they were nowhere on the radar screen at all. Look at Eamon Sullivan from Australia, though. Wow, he's out. Oh, my goodness, 22-48. He's and the now, world record holder in the 53. We expected Sullivan from Australia to lead it out, but don't expect him to have the firepower to stay up. No, Phelps will close on him. He's just got to hope to stay out of that wash that Sullivan has now created. Look at the world record line. Way ahead of it is a number of swimmers. Australia had the lead thanks to Sullivan. Into the pool for the United States goes Garrett Weber-Gell in his first Olympic swim. World record there for Australia's Eamon Sullivan to lead things off. But look at this world record line. You know, I think the winning relay, first of all, it's going to take a world record to win. They could break the world record by three or four seconds. That's how good teams are. Garrett Weber-Gale has the lead for the United States. What is it going to take down the stretch of this race for the Americans to have a chance in the end with France? Uh, the problem is Bousquet for France was 46-6 in the prelims. And then you've got Bernard, the world, former world record holder now. They've got to get out there way ahead. Colin Jones, probably the slowest leg of the four. He earned that spot to be on the relay in the prelims. U.S. has the slight lead in the third leg of this four-man event. Freddy Bousquet has taken over the lead, though, for France. Fastest relay split in history in the prelims for Bousquet. He swam at Auburn, and then you've got Colin Jones, who swam on the prelim relay and earned his spot in this final, but France has taken the lead up there in lane five over the United States. Elaine Bernard awaits as the anchor guy, and Jason Lezak is going to have to make up some ground on Elaine Bernard, who stands six feet five and can absolutely fly. I just don't think they can do it, Dan. I mean, Jason Lezak has been there how many times in his career has he anchored this free relay and medley relay, but I, I just don't think he can do it. He's trying to ride that wave as much as possible. Bernard is pulling away from him. Lezak, the world record a three-time Olympian. World record is absolutely going to be shattered here. The United States try to hang out a second. They should get the silver medal. Australia is in bronze territory right now, but Lezak is closing a little bit on Bernard. Can the veteran chase him down and pull off a shocker here? Well, there's no doubt that he's tightening up. Bernard is losing to ground. Here comes Lezak. Unbelievable at the end. He's done it. The U.S. has done it. He did it. Yeah, he did it. He did it. Phelps his hopes alive. <laughs> Still haven't lost the dream. Still haven't. <laughs> There's examples in there, though, that, that just resonate with me. You're going to be down sometimes, and you're going to be behind. There's going to be people that, that doubt you and are even talking about you on TV saying, he won't get there. You can't do it. 
And in those moments, you're going to need to, you're going to, need to dig deep. And hang on to truth that says, no, I'm all in on Christ above everything else. There's going to be teammates that need you to be an encourager, to pick them up. Because they're down in that moment. We've got to trust our teammates. We've got to be willing to work with each other. You've got to be all in on Christ above everything else or it will let you down. If you've never entertained that thought before, awesome news, today can be your day. You can start having that conversation with God right now. It says something to the effect of, God, I'm unsure about you. I don't even know if I believe this yet, but I want to start asking the questions. I'm going to start learning more, and I'm going to to take the steps, I'm going to do the training so that I can be all in. And maybe it's something you've you've heard before, but you've let some time and space and distance get in the way. And what was once a kingdom focus, your eyes have now fallen, and you're just looking at circumstances around you. Like we've talked about for 10 weeks, you can't be all in if that's where your focus is. But great news for you too. Refocus can happen right now. You you can't jump into the pool and expect to win right away. But you can start training. You can start taking the steps to be all in on Christ today. And trust me, heaven awaits. It's way cooler than a run, ride, walk, scoot medal. But heaven is there for you. It's a promise from God. He is asking for you to be all in on him. Start by saying yes. We'll worry about the rest later. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you for an opportunity to talk about you. Thank you for your word, which has given us a path and a launching place to be all in. I thank you for examples in scripture of people who were all in and the benefit they were to the early church. But God, we know that just hearing only gets us so far. There needs to be doing. And so, Holy Spirit, I pray that you are working in the hearts of people right now, unearthing some areas that they need to be aware of, holding up a mirror so they can see some areas of strength and failure, and ultimately that we would burn with the desire to be all in for you. That we would be brave because it's going to take that. That we would be diligent and disciplined because it's going to take that too. Not every day, not every race is going to have a happy ending. But we want to be committed 
to being all in, going hard after you. God, I pray this morning is encouraging for people that they hear this truth and that they have hope. How great is that? They don't need to be bound to whatever has been keeping them from being all in. Today they can break that chain. Today they can drop that cinder block. Today they can be free to have life and have it to the full, abundant with you. God, thank you for your promises. Thank you for the hope that is Christ and the future that awaits us in heaven. What a great gold medal that is. We love you, Lord. Amen.